Welcome to the Birding Life Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the birders that pursue them. The Birding Life is proud to be associated with Shrobsky Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lesser bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Pot. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. The Birding Life is a lot more than just a podcast. It's a multi-platform resource to connect birders with each other, amazing locations, the best resources, and obviously, where to find amazing birds. Head on over to our website, www.thebirdinglife.com, and be sure to sign up to our newsletter on the site, so you do not miss out on any of the exciting things that are coming up. Be sure to follow this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on, and please take some time to rate and comment on it. This is episode 38, and today's guest is one of the best young birders in our country. His passion for birding started at a young age and has grown to include other areas of nature. I'm pleased to welcome Joshua Olszewski all the way from the Western Cape to the show. This is a fascinating interview that you won't want to miss. Hey Joshua, it's good to have you on the show. I know we've been planning this for quite a while. It's really cool to get to chat to you finally on the show. Thanks, Adam. Thank you so much for having me. It's really, um, it's really an, a privilege and an honor to be on this podcast. I mean, I've seen how much you've grown um, in the past couple of months. It's crazy how much this podcast has picked up. So it's really an honor to to be able to sit down and talk with you. Yeah, I know we had a chat two, three episodes ago. We spoke to John Kinghorn. It was kind of the controversial episode. And we spoke about young birders and John Kinghorn actually mentioned your name. And honestly, I, I don't want to I don't even want to say that you want better younger birders out there. You're just one of the better birders in the country. Um and it's really cool to be able to chat to you tonight. You know, for those who are tuning in might say Axis Oaks quite young or something, but I encourage you to listen. You're gonna learn a lot tonight. So we I'm really keen for this chat. Thanks, Adam. I really appreciate it. Joshua, we're going to start with a little bit of a challenge. Um, what a lot of people don't know is that you have an incredible knowledge. And and I just want to say, it's not something you use for to show off on that type of thing. You really do it. You, you use this knowledge to help people. But we're going to start the show, and I'm just going to show the viewers just how impressive you are. So don't let me down. We're going to do a, a scientific bird name challenge, okay? You're not going to have a bird book in front of you. I know you're an honest person. You're not going to cheat, so I trust you. And I'm going to give you five bird names, um, one at a time, obviously. You're not going to try and remember all five. Don't stress about that. And you're going to give me the scientific name, and we're going to see how many out of five you can get. Okay, are you ready for it? Okay, awesome. Okay, so let's start with the first one. I actually need to get, this is really professional. I need to actually get the, the bird open in here because I forgot to write it down. But the first bird is a fiscal flycatcher. Okay, cool. So before I start, my disclaimer is that I have no idea how to properly pronounce any of these names. I more or less know how they are spelled. And then from there, I kind of have an idea as to how to pronounce them. But other than that, I've kind of just going off of my gut feeling so if anyone knows how to actually pronounce these names and is listening to this podcast don't come for me please <laughs> but um i would say the fiscal flycatcher is uh it's melanonous um silence if i'm not mistaken yes one out of five so far well then okay first one up i don't know how many of the listeners got that right so before you judge joshua for maybe pronouncing a bit wrong did you get it right? That is the question. Let's go a bit tougher. Okay. Wimbrel. Wimbrel. Uh, Wimbrel, that's uh, Nemenius Pheopus, right? 
100%. Two out of two so far. Secretary bird. Uh, Sagittarius Serpentarius. That one is easier. Oh, it's so easy. It's just like, yeah, I just know this. Just like I recite these in my sleep at the moment. Long-tailed widow bird. Uh, long-tailed widow bird. This one might catch me, actually. It's Europlectes. I know. Europlectes. Is it Macrurus? Halfway there. Uh, Macrura. No, Nelly. It's a big tail. It's something big tail. Wait, let me think about this for a second. Starts with a P. Oh, crap. Then I was... Oh, Progni. Yeah, that would be it. So we'll give you a half mark for that one there. I'll give you a half mark. Okay. And then the last one is a pennant-winged nightjar. Oh, uh, Caprimalgus uh, vexillarius. Oh, my word, dude. Four and a half out of five. That is really cool. If I had, like, fancy sound effects, I'd give you a round of applause on that, but I can't. So, yeah, just well done. Everyone Everyone, just sitting at home, just give Joshua a clap. Um, let him feel the love from home. My other disclaimer is that I haven't looked at those names in a very, very long time. <laughs> so that was, I was very, very rusty there. <laughs> so, so this is the question I want to ask you. How the hell have you managed to learn the scientific names of birds? And has it really helped you as a birder? I honestly, okay, so I don't actually have a, a concrete reason as to why I did it. I just remember one day in, I think it was 2018 sometime, I just, I was probably flipping through with the field guide and then I just started looking at the scientific names and then I decided one day that I wanted to just learn all the Southern African bird scientific names just as like an added piece of knowledge, I guess you could say that I could recall. So for no specific reason. And then I kind of went through the whole field guide. I I worked, I remember I worked through the field guide quite quickly. I think I covered all the birds' names in about a week's time, I think. I just did it because I wanted to really. And as for how it adds to my birding, I think it's, I'd say it adds more to, I guess, one's understanding of the other fields of wildlife um i mean if you look at fields like herpetology and like the all the different orders of insects you know lepidoptera odonata and then the the people who work in those fields the biologists and conservationists and uh, professors who work in those fields they all work with the scientific names of these animals for the most part because for the most part a lot of these animals don't have common names so that was kind of like my I guess you could say initiation into the world of taxonomy and nomenclature and understanding kind of yeah how yeah how scientific names play a role in um, defining what a species is and what a subspecies is and what a family is. It it was quite interesting from that point of view. So we're going to hear a lot about you as a birder tonight. But besides being a birder. Um, for the sake of the listeners out there, can you tell us a little bit about who you are? What are your interests? What are you into besides birding? Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, so birding is definitely my number one passion and hobby. I've been birding since I was, oof, as long as I could remember. I would say three years old. I was like the the beginning. But yeah, I mean, from there, I've gotten into all sorts of other kingdoms of wildlife and now i'm into a lot of the majority of vertebrates i would say um but apart from wildlife i'm quite into i'd say my second passion is probably music i by no means call myself a or consider myself a professional musician i just i play the piano and i love making songs on like garage band and stuff like that just messing around there and just like listening to music whenever i'm not out in the bush i'm always 
doing something that has to do with music. So I'd say that's definitely my my second passion. Yeah, and those are kind of like my major my, my major things, if you will. And then in terms of uh, artists, I mean, I know this is not birding rates. So what music are you into? So, I mean, I'm a typical, I'm not a typical, but I'm a millennial by my music definition for sure. I don't really listen to a lot of older stuff. I listen to, I think the majority of the music I listen to is definitely post 2000s. So very poppy, but I like other genres too. I like quite a bit of rock, I would say, but not like old school rock. And yeah, I'd say that's like the the core of the music that I like is is modern pop, EDM, dance, that kind of stuff. And I also like my more slower acoustic, ballady, you know, campfire kind of songs as well. I really like that stuff. So yeah. And you just come back from an amazing um, trip up to Karakhari. Can you tell us a little bit about that trip and some of the birds that you managed to see? Oh yeah, no, sure. That trip was that trip was amazing. I just got back, I think, about three days ago. Yeah, it was a whole Northern Cape route that we did. It was I went with two of my friends from down here in the Cape, and it was focused on birds and reptiles. So we did um, like two nights in Springbok, one night Achenes, one night Ochrabis, three nights up in the Khalakhari, two nights in Bitsant, and then one night back down at Branfle. So we kind of got a, like we cover the major areas of like the Northern Cape uh, biomes. And so we got like a, quite a good diversity of Northern Cape bird species. So on the Springbok side, we got ornamacolan things like Career Ermomala, Black-Eared Sparrowlock, Black-Headed Canary, Track Track Chats. And then versus the Kalahari side, which is where I really wanted to go because I've never been to the Kalahari before. I got about, I think, five new birds up there. It was pygmy falcon, regnet falcon, uh, rosy-faced lovebird, red bull spur fowl, uh, virtual sand grass. And then coming back down through Brunfle, I got Sclater's lark as well, which was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, I think other cool birds we got were, uh, we got Ludwig's busted. Um, we got uh, actually quite a few busters. We got Ludwig's Cory, and then red crested and northern black Quran. Up in the park, obviously, we've got a lot of raptors, tawny eagle, basilar, secretary bird, the falcons, like I mentioned, Gabar goshawk, southern pelgeant and goshawk. So yeah, no, it was a really incredible trip. One thing that amazes me with yourself, Josh, is you are really amazing at identifying birds. Um, I think you are one of the best around. I mean, you're one of those guys on Facebook. Anyone can, You can put any bird on there and you just know what bird it is. Why, how do you think you are so good at ID skills? You know, wh- what are some things you do to to stay sharp in that area and how have you got to where you've got to in terms of ID skills? Well, first of all, thank you very much for the compliment. <laughs> I really appreciate it. But at the same time, I mean, I also try not to let stuff like that get to me to get to my head because I mean I know very well that I've made a lot of uh, very <laughs> questionable calls in the past. So, um, but thank you, I do appreciate the compliment. I I don't know. I mean, it's weird for me to think about now thinking about what I did to get to know um, or to become so familiar with Southern African birds. But I guess the simple answer is just that I. I kept on looking at pictures. I remember the first bird book I had was um, in Sinclair's photographic field guide um, back in the day. And as a four-year-old, all that I wanted to do was go through that book and uh, like sit with my mom, my dad, my babysitter, whoever it was who was looking after me at the time as a 
a child, a toddler, and just like pointing at all the pictures and then having them read the name to me because obviously I couldn't read at the time. And I guess doing that so many times for so many years and then eventually going out and getting field experience and going out birding and kind of solidifying what different species look like in my mind. I guess that was really what um, was the the major way that I got to know how to identify birds. And I think also the one thing that I realized that I do when I identify birds and other animals as well versus maybe other people is as opposed to looking for certain features on a bird that make it that I kind of look at the whole bird with it's kind of a weird thing to describe but look at the entire you know bird animal you know whatever it may be and just kind of taking the features subconsciously um, if that makes any sense and then like my brain kind of recognizes it as that species um, it's a weird thing for me to try and describe, but it's just like, a, as opposed to looking for, oh, it has a white eyebrow, so therefore it is this, you know, if you know what I'm saying. And you spoke about that first bird book here, that Ian Sinclair book. Um, you've got quite an quite a good book collection of nature books. More or less, how many nature books do you have, and what are some of your prized possessions in your collection? Oh, gosh, I think <laughs> I think I probably have about, I don't know, 150 books here. Um, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. I'm just trying to see <laughs> which ones stand out to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I love all my books. I, I always go through phases where I look at some of them more than others, but I've looked at all of them at least 20 times over. Um, I think right now, the most significant ones to me right now have been, well, actually, it's not even a bird book. It's Steve Woodhull's new Butterfly Field Guide. I've really been looking at that a lot. And also, oh, the Reptile Atlas, the Reptile Atlas of uh, Southern Africa, because I've been getting to know reptiles. Um, I think bird-wise, the number one to me right now is this new book that I got from um, Fancy Peacock. It's the Swift, Swifts of the World. It's a, it's a really, really amazing book. That it's got amazing illustrations in it. It's, yeah, it's a really, really good book. So those would be my tops for now. So you spoke about the fact you're into butterflies, dragonflies, snakes, frogs, anything natural. Um, do you think this holistic view of nature has helped you as a birder? I do think so, yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's kind of, it kind of helps you to see the whole, like the natural world in a very... I would say maybe like an objective way as opposed to be having like a preference for one animal group where maybe it's like you're more inclined to like, you know, a certain animal group. I mean, not to say that I like or am familiar with everything. I mean, I'm definitely not familiar with the majority of insects and um, invertebrates and arthropods. And I'm by no means an entomologist as well. But I think just kind of like the things of understanding the way different creatures interact with one another, ecology, essentially. Like now that I've, I've really become interested in uh, herping and finding reptiles in the past um, year or so, a couple of months, and just kind of understanding how the, you know, the reptiles are very, very secretive and very elusive for the most part. Like it's quite hard to find reptiles when compared to um, birds. When you go out birding, you're guaranteed to get, you know, easily... Um, or relatively easily just see or and hear about maybe 30 species 40 species minimum depending on where you are with reptiles it's like you go out for a day and you're lucky if you find about 
two or three species, you know, um, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but you get what I'm saying. It's like the ratio is very much skewed when it comes to that. So kind of understanding those like dynamics within the different animal groups and then knowing how the different animal groups interact with one another. I'd say it's definitely added value to my my trips out into the into the bush, into the field for sure. And I think there comes that point where, you know, as a birder, you've seen um the birds very very often and that kind of thing so you know i think it also just adds a depth to it you know especially if you've got a a bigger life list um it just keeps it very interesting um when you go out there because there's always something new that you could see yeah no definitely it's it's always it's just more to chase (laughs) it's more animals to see it's more things to look for when you go out and it, it just makes every trip that you do that much more rewarding because you you never come away from a trip um, disappointed because you would have like almost guaranteed every time seeing something new, something interesting, even if it's not a new species, it may be an interesting interaction and unusual an up close, you know, um, experience with something that's normally very elusive. And yeah, I know it's it's always it just add it can only be beneficial to to one's outings, really. Um, we didn't ask you earlier, but you spoke about Kalahari, all the new birds you saw. What is your life list sitting on at the moment? Um, on now for South Africa, I'm 699. So I'm one away from 700 right now. And um, yeah, I'm just waiting on a, another rarity to pop up, really. <laughs> Being down in the Cape. So yeah, I'm hoping for a rarity to show up to make my number 700 a good one. And what have been some of your bogey birds? Is there any bird that you still like, you've gone after many times and you still have not seen it? Which, which is some of those bogey birds in your list at the moment? Oh, yeah. No, I I think my longest running bogey is probably Olive Tree Warbler. Um, just because I, I mean, I lived in Joburg for the majority of my life until I was 18, so two years ago. And I went to, I'd been to Zarkel Drift about, Oh gosh, I don't know, six or seven times. And I've heard the bird there on like two two separate seasons even, but I've just never gotten visuals. I guess other ones that come to mind are also kind of like more northern summer migrants that I've just I've been in the right area for, but I just haven't had luck with them. So maybe things like monotonous lark, pallet harrier, grey headed kingfisher. Yeah, those would also I would say are like my bogeys, but olive tree would probably be the main one <laughs> right now. I remember that Greater Kingfisher showed up at Indranzini. We drove around again, around and around and around and around, and we didn't get anything. That's also the bird that just irritates you. Have you got the rufous-bellied heron yet? Oh yeah, and that one too. I forgot about the rufous-bellied heron. That's like my KZN bogey because it shows up in KZN every year, and I'm never in KZN when they show up. So yeah. I think you need someone to sponsor an air ticket for you to so you can go, come up to KZN and just ticket at Sandusia and go back home. Yes, I need. I just need to come back up to KZN because you guys keep on pulling out these golden puppets like that's going out of fashion and now you're coming with sooty gulls. So <laughs> I need to come up to KZN soon for sure. But you know what's like really amazing is how many of these rarities show up on private reserves and it's like these guys they just know it they just know where to show up they like show up at these they don't just show up at like a place that anyone can get into it's like yeah let's just show up at this most exclusive place we can show up so it's gonna cost a lot of people people a lot of money to go and see it it's kind of frustrating 
Yeah, no, like the Malagasy pond heron showed up two separate years and both times in in Mziki or they in the, the private nature reserves there in Zululand. So that might be oh, there's actually two birds I've got up on you, the Malagasy pond heron and the Rufus Belly Heron. Two birds I've got up on you. That's quite cool. I, I'm sure you I'm sure you've got more. I'm pretty sure you have more. I will take those two at least. My list isn't my list isn't super high. I mean I've only been birding in South Africa as well, so Let's rewind the clock back, right back. Um, how did this, you spoke a little bit about, you know, paging through the N. Sinclair book and that, but how did this birding journey start? Because, you know, especially, I, I know birding's growing amongst the youth now, but for a lot of younger people still, birding is still not seen as a, a cool hobby. And I'll say this much, not to insult anyone who's listening to this, but you're quite a normal person. <laughs> how did you get into birding? Yeah, no, I mean, I, gosh, it's it's a very interesting it's a weird story, really, because I mean, I'm the only person in my family and extended family who's um, into birding. Um, I know, I feel like, f- at least from my experience and um, like getting to know a lot of other younger birders, a lot of people who are a lot of other younger birders now, they tend to come into it because somebody like in their family or family friends or extended family or someone who they know has kind of been interested in it and has sparked that interest in them as well so you know like people going out into the bush um with their their kids and then their kids like pick it up from from going out with their parents like that i i never had that i for some reason, my mom was extremely intuitive to what I liked as a kid. And I remember, I think when I was about two years old, she got me a whole series of little like paperback books. And all of them were on like different things that you would think a kid would be interested in. So I remember there was one on trains and there was one on dinosaurs and one on planes and one on sea life. There was one on birds. And I know she saw that I really liked the bird one as a kid. And then one year later, she got me the field guide and she saw that I really liked that too. Um, And it also just so happened that at that point, the church we were going to had uh, a bird club. So then we'd start going out to meetings with that bird club. And that was back when birding was only for 65-year-old plus people. And then here you've got this little three-year-old toddler running around with these elderly people being like, hey guys, how's it going? <laughs> what did you, you know, what have you seen? You know, like like my best friends. Um, I'm pretty sure it was quite a, a sight to see for my mom and my, my dad as well. But that was kind of where I started with birding, definitely when it was still more of like a an older person's thing, I guess. But I mean, from there, my mom and I started doing, well, my family and I started doing like weekends away. We started going on birding trips to Vale for the day, Sekabostadant, which was about 30 minutes from my house at the time. Um, and then when I was, I think, six, then my mom joined or signed me up with the Vidvatastrand Bird Club. And then it was kind of just like a snowball effect from there. And then I just got to know more people and kept on going on more outings. And my mom, my mom was really kind of the catalyst, I would say, even though she wasn't a birder and she isn't a birder, but she... She knew that that's what um, my my passion was, and she fully fully supported me in that. So I I definitely say I owe all of whatever birder I am right now to my mom's um, 
good instinct. And then obviously, you know, you were in school as a birder and went to high school as a birder, which can probably be a bit tough. But what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced as a young birder? It's an interesting question. I Because I never actually, I was never bullied as a kid or I never really got like made fun of or I never got like seriously made fun of. Like I got the odd, you know, comment or odd remark here, but I from like people in my grade at my school and whatever but it was never in like a like a harsh they never said it in a harsh way or they never meant to actually insult me or at least I never took it that way it was always very like light-hearted and jokingly so I'll, I just took it as a joke I guess the biggest challenge um, with being a young birder is at, at least back then well not that it was so long ago because I'm only 20 now but was not having other birder friends at the time fortunately though um around i think it was yeah 2016 i went to flock uh flock to kruger 2016 and uh, that's actually where i met john uh and then john um started yab uh, youth africa birding and then through yab i got to know a lot of other young birders so from that point i kind of had like number of young birder friends at that point but yeah, but again, it it wasn't even like a challenge for me, I would say, because I was always going out on trips with my mom, like I said. She would always take me out on school holidays to everywhere. To We went to Vakustrum, we went to KZN many times, up into the Limpopo, Bushveld, to Dalstrom, Kruger Park, Northwest. We went to Barberspan. We did many Cape Town trips. Um, well, not many Cape Town trips, Eastern Cape as well. Yeah, so I never felt like I really lacked much as a young birder. But I, if I had to pick a challenge um, as a young birder that I may have experienced, it would probably have been the lack of other young birders as friends. But you managed to connect to some quite good birders. I know like Tristan Spurway is one of your mates. And I mean, he, just the youth birding challenge, he got 400 species. Pretty insane in three months, 400 species. Yeah, I know. I mean, Tristan and I went to the same school. So I think I met him when... And around 2015 and yeah we did a lot of a lot of birding together and we went up to his family farm in Hainitzburg we did quite a bit of Limpopo birding and around Gauteng birding as well so yeah I mean him and other people like Jordan Ralph, uh, Jean van der Neerford, uh, gosh who else, Bradwin Adnorf, Richard Escutter yeah there was a lot of a lot of other younger birders who I then became friends with and I'm still friends with them now so yeah and then who were some of the people that helped shape your birding journey I'd say well yeah I mean like I said the biggest one definitely my mom uh, she definitely spearheaded it and kind of ran with it for me but I mean obviously as a kid I loved uh, watching David Attenborough uh, BBC documentaries I think I was started watching the blue planet when I was my, my mom played it for me when I was still a baby and then like the life of birds was obviously my favorites and then all his other ones life of mammals life in the undergrowth trials of life all those things so i'd say david attenborough definitely was also a significant person um who yeah i wouldn't say i look looked up to but i definitely saw elements of like what i wanted to be in him um as a kid yeah i wouldn't say there were like a ton of people that i had as role models again like I said because I think back when I was really really little so I wasn't even thinking about like 
who my role models were in this field. I was just like, ah, oh, birds, let's go find some. <laughs> I was too busy. I was too distracted with that. But yeah, I'd say that the, like my mom would be the most significant person um, in that regard. Question that some people might wonder is, you're an amazing birder, probably like you're one of the best birders around. <laughs> Why didn't you pursue a career in ornithology? Um, I'm sure there's, there must be people who would wonder that, wonder that being yes, like a natural fit almost. Yeah, no, that was a, that was a big like turning point, not, yeah, like turning point in my life over the past maybe like two years or so. Yeah, I I definitely did make a, a change from wanting to do ornithology. I think I always I always told myself as a kid that I wanted to be an an ornithologist because I mean I was like oh cool that's working with birds I want to do that. But my biggest problem with regards to studying and becoming a a conservationist, a researcher, or going through you know the the traditional lines of study is I'm very, how do I say it? I'm, I'm not very like scientifically orientated. I'm not very, um, yeah, I just, I struggle when it comes to learning things through, like I was not a good school student. I'll say that, <laughs> I'll say that much. I really, I struggled with school. And I mean, I picked, you know, my subjects were science, bio, geography. So science like was my worst subject and I, you know, I had to pick it because I, at the time, I was like, no, I've got to, you know, I'm going to go do a BSc. I have to, I have to take science. I have to take maths and I have to, you know, I have to work at these. But I really, really tried during, I mean, I went into first year, first year BSc and it really just kind of broke me. It was, I mean, high school, you know, just doing, having people forcing you to, to go through that process of, you know, doing subjects that you don't even want to be doing or that you just really, really struggle with. Having people behind you pushing you through it really actually helps you then, or at least people like me who, you know, kind of need someone to push you through it. Then suddenly when you come to university, then you're on your own. And if you've chosen to do something that you're actually not good at, then it's like, you're essentially doing that to yourself. It's like you picked your poison. So I kind of then just had to accept the fact that, you know, this isn't this isn't working. Like it's not I, I'm not winning this battle. And um it was also hard. I mean I yeah, I mean, sorry, I'm probably gonna sound like a pity party here, but but I mean I've also I mean I thought about a lot of people who I think knew or had a feeling that I was going to become a conservationist or I was going to become an ornithologist and go, you know, into FITS because I also, you know, I, I said that I would eventually one day study at um, Percy Fitzpatrick and, you know, do all of that. And, you know, I, I, I really felt like a bit of a letdown then when I, I decided to not do that. And I felt a bit like ashamed to kind of tell the people who thought that I would be going into conservation that, hey, I'm actually not doing that anymore. But, you know, had, I kind of had to, it was a journey that I had to work through and accept. And yeah, so now I've kind of just, I've gone a different way and I'm trying to go through the, the guiding way. So I'm currently doing my Fagaza, my field guiding, um, level one field guiding course. And yeah, I'm just trying to come at, the the birding thing from from that angle 
And I mean, seeing how many successful guys there are out there, and I know some of them also haven't exactly gone through the traditional, you know, university studying timeline. Um, I know quite a few of them have haven't done that and have become successful guides. So that kind of really motivates me to actually push forward with with my you know my goal and my vision of where I I see myself in in a couple of years. And I guess it comes a time in your life where you've got to make a decision to not do what's right for everybody else, but to do what is right for you. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was I I think I also was really in that mindset of like you know, don't let like, you know, your parents down or your family or friends down because, you know, people are paying for this education and people expect, you know, you to go this way because this is how you become successful in the like the field of wildlife conservation, you know, like, or this is the, this is the, the straight and narrow, you know, and I think, at least in this day and age, I think there's definitely multiple straight and narrows <laughs> to, to, where you want to go um i think if you are committed and you're hardworking and you are determined to to get to where you want to go you'll you'll find the the way that works best for you and yeah not everyone is an einstein <laughs> and that's kind of something that i also had to accept but yeah i'm i'm working at it well david sibley who is um, a famous american author he wrote a book called Sibley's Birding Basics, and all he did is he basically wrote up on all the basics, birding, how to become a better birder, whether you're a new birder or you've been birding for a while, how you can grow. If you were to write a book on the basics of birding and how people can grow themselves as birders, what would be some of the things that you would want to include in that book? That's a good question. Yeah, especially considering that I actually, I've never thought about writing a book, but I think, I think then, yeah, okay, I think in terms of getting to know birds because that's i'd say step one when it comes to birding i'd just say get yourself you know a field guide or whatever literature you have that kind of covers the birds in your immediate area and just look at them literally like what i said i did when i was a three-year-old and i just like would look at photos like the same photos over and over again and just look at them familiarize yourself with the species in your area get to know you know things like plumage variations you know male female juvenile whatever it may be and i mean i know hugh chittenden said this to you and i adam when we went up to his place in mtanzini and he said that he just looked um at like hundreds and hundreds of like photos of you know of species of any one species uh, or say like species that are, are hard to identify um, and for me that's really kind of how I've uh, familiarized myself with species as I've also I just like kind of look through as many different photos as many different individuals it's kind of like I'd say looking through specimens in a museum you know you get to know what they look like and all the the variations and um, all the features that identify that species as that species. So I guess I'd say step one is just familiarize yourself with the species and just look at them as, for as much as you possibly can. And then step two would be, after looking at them, would be listening to them. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd say familiarizing yourself with your bird calls would also be 
a very crucial element in getting to know how to observe birds. And uh, we'll start adding the other elements of actually observing birds and observing their behavior and why they do what they do when you are looking at them. And then I guess the third thing would be get to know and yeah, get to know people who are birders, essentially, just like find other birders, meet up with them and um, just like, you know, share knowledge and get to know what they know. And that's how, you know, your knowledge will inevitably expand and grow is getting to know what other people know, essentially. Yeah, so I'd say those would be like my my major tips. No, Joshua, it's been super awesome chatting to you. I really say I think this should be part one. I think there needs to be a part two to this episode. Yeah, um, been a lot of fun chatting to you. Maybe we can do it as a Facebook Live sometime. It'll be quite scary, but it'll be quite cool. But thanks for being on the show. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Adam. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, no, definitely we must do a part two um, on a Facebook Live sometime. I'd be very keen for that. We are proud to be working in association with Wild Books to help get all the best birding resources into your hands at a great price. If you would like to support the Birding Life Project and the resources that we are putting out, please click on the link in either the comment section of this podcast or in our social media posts. Your support helps us to improve and hopefully make a bigger impact. Be sure to head over to our website www.thebirdinglife.com and check out all the exciting resources that we have on our website, including our exciting forum section to connect you with the world of birding, birders, and exciting birds out there. Do not forget to follow The Birding Life on Instagram and Facebook. We really appreciate everyone that takes the time to interact with these accounts. Be sure to check out Birdlasser and download the app on either iOS or Android and keep a life list while playing your part in social conservation. As well as Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.